Hello, welcome to the New River Church Podcast. We're so pleased to have you join us today. We hope that today's message uplifts and inspires you. If you would like to learn some more about New River Church and what we're all about, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. So this morning, turn in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12. And I I sense as I prayed this morning that what Jesus wants to do is give us an attitude adjustment, a little adjustment. And I know that when parents, if you say that to your kids, like that's usually has negative connotations. I'm gonna give you an attitude adjustment. That's not that kind of attitude adjustment. But, But what we're talking about is, you know, like there's this, Well, I'll say this, some messages are designed to teach, like here's the three things that you need to know. And that's good, there's value in that. And others are designed to to motivate, you know, to move us to something, right? And that's a good thing too. I just sense like this morning, really all the Lord wants to do is just make that a, a shift in our perspective, just a slight one. And I believe if he does, that that will just open up a whole new world of possibilities for you and me. And I just sense that. So that's, it's not that, it's not a negative, uh, you need an attitude adjustment. It's, it's a positive adjustment of our attitude and our perspective, uh, to move us into some new territory. So today is a, is a fun day because we're actually going to talk about one of Jesus's favorite subjects. Can you guess what it is? Any guesses? Jesus' favorite subject? His father. His father. He certainly did talk about his father a lot. The king, what was that? Forgiving, yeah, he, did. he does talk about forgiving some. You're right. Money, there you go. You're right, she guessed it. Were you in the first service? Okay, so this morning we're gonna talk about money, although forgiveness, the Father, great topics. Um, but uh, we're gonna talk about money. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God over 80 times in the Gospels. He talked about hell. There's 12 verses where Jesus talks about hell. He talked about money 29 times which uh, doesn't make it like, you know, the only thing he talked about, but certainly was um, an important topic. And if you think about the role that money plays in our lives, it is an important topic. True. A lot of lives have been ruined by money, uh, and a lot of blessing has come as a result of money. So it plays a major role in our lives. And I think it's awesome that God would have such a heart for us that he would give us wisdom, his wisdom about managing it. So next week is what we call Covenant Sunday as a church. And it's an annual tradition of ours. The last Sunday in January, we sign this covenant. We call it a fellowship covenant where we agree together to love Jesus and to serve Jesus together for another year. And um, each year we sign this covenant. If you've not received a copy of it, we've been talking about it all month, but there are copies of the covenant on the welcome table. Please take one. There's one in English and in Spanish if you want that. And take it so that you can read it. And next Sunday you can be prepared. So there's no, no secrets. There's no fine print. Nobody, no surprises. You can read it and be prepared to sign it next Sunday. But in this covenant, there's three different parts to it. We will, with God's help, well, there's the preamble, and then there's three commitments. We will, with God's help, 
continue to grow personally in our love for him, first section. Second section, we will work to keep the unity of the church, second. And then the third section, we will work to help our church to grow. And there's a few points under that. And one of the points under that pertains to giving. By giving back to God a biblical portion of my income to support my church. That's that second to the last line. So when we talk about biblical portion, we're talking about what is called the tithe. And maybe if you've been around church for a while, church people at all, you've maybe heard the term tithes and offerings. You think, whoa, they're, they're different. There's tithes and yes, they're two separate things. So tithing, uh, to tithe, it's an old English word that simply means 10th. So it's 10%. So if I earn $10, 10% of that is $1. If I earn a million dollars, 10% is $100,000. And that tithe belongs to God, as we'll see in a moment. And then offerings, that's what I give out of the kindness of my heart over and above that. The generosity that God's given to me. It's a bless, to serve, you know, to encourage, whatever it needs, wherever the needs are, that's an offering. So tithes and offerings. Now, I know right away I say that. Some of us get very nervous. And uh, you're thinking, oh boy, you know, Martha, we should go right now. Let's go. <laughs> and so, so I, I want to um, just say this. I love you. Please hear that. And I want God's best for your life. And um, I promise you, nobody's beating you up today. And I also promise you, there's no shakedown today. Like, I, I assure you of that, okay? In fact, if you've been here long enough, you've probably already noticed we, we don't even collect an offering on Sunday mornings. And, and I'm supposed to every week remind you of giving online and the box in the lobby, but we forget nine weeks out of 10. So it's honestly, it's, we're not hung up on money at New River Church at all, right? Um, which is awesome, I, I do, and which I want for you to live your life free of being hung up on money, right? What I want more than anything is for that. Money is a blessing from God. It's a gift. And like all of God's blessings, catch this, like all of his blessings, when we use them the way God intended, they are good. But when we use them as we see fit, they can become a curse and they cause trouble in our lives. And with money, we can do great good. Think about all the hospitals and community services that have been funded. Think about even the special times that you've had maybe with your family around a special meal or special vacations, like all of that made possible by money. But then you also think about the harm that has been caused by money, the people who have been abused, the, the slavery that's taken place, the, the people that have been taken advantage of, how families have been divided over money. You, you can, there's a lot of evil that it has done. I think we would all agree. So money itself is not a bad thing. It's a gift from God. But like all of God's gifts to humanity, our sin has come in and mucked it up. Amen? See, so, so what we want is I want to know, God, what's your heart for money so that I can manage it the way that you see fit so that I can receive the blessing and the joy of it and be free. 
And so the first thing we need to know is this, just lay this out as a foundational principle that God gives us the ability to make money. He, it comes from him, Deuteronomy chapter eight, verses 17 and 18. Moses, speaking to the people of Israel, says, you might say in your heart, the power and strength of my own hands has made this wealth for me. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Who gives you the ability to produce wealth? God gives you the ability. So therefore, money is a gift from God. But here's the rub. When God's blessings become God's competition in our hearts, we find ourselves enslaved by them and robbed of our ability to enjoy them. When money replaces God in my life, I become enslaved by it. It manages me, not I manage it. And I become consumed by things like worry, fear, envy, coveting, greed, I never have enough, so forth. But when money stays in its proper place as a gift from God, man, then I am free to enjoy it and to manage it and to use it as a blessing for others. So this is what Jesus is teaching in Luke chapter 12. I wanna just read Luke 12, 13 through 24. Set the scene, the beginning of chapter 12, Jesus is teaching to a crowd of people. I picture a nice sunny day. Jesus is having a, Jesus is just on a roll. Man, he's preaching his heart out. And then in the crowd, there's this man. Look at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, and whenever you see a therefore, you always want to know what it's there for, right? So this connects, these two sections connect together. Jesus says, then therefore I tell you, my disciples, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies of the field, 
or the wildflowers. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Just go back to that verse 30, your father knows. Can you you hear that? Just remind yourself of that. My father knows. My father knows. He does. Jesus says in verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus wants, yeah, so Jesus wants my heart to be where my treasure is and what I treasure determines where my heart goes. And so where's my treasure? Is my treasure in earthly things? If it is, then my heart is consumed by, you know, worry and greed and all those things. If my treasure is in heaven, well, then my heart goes there and my heart experiences the blessings of heaven. So this is the the crux of what Jesus is teaching. So let's just highlight a couple of things so we can get the context, okay? First of all, notice as chapter 12 opens, Jesus is teaching his heart out. He's teaching about fear, and he's teaching about hypocrites, and he's teaching about what to do if you get dragged in front of the authorities and don't worry about what to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words. And right in the middle of Jesus' great sermon, can you imagine? I mean, Jesus, this is Jesus teaching. It's a great sermon. Can you picture this man in the crowd? He's not hearing a word that Jesus is saying, is he? He's just stewing. Man, my cheapskate brother won't share the inheritance with me. What kind of jerk? He's thinking all kinds of bad thoughts about his brother. And Jesus is meanwhile having this great message. And the man's not hearing a thing Jesus is saying. Do you see what happens when money and I have a problem? When money and I have a problem, money becomes all I can think about. Even if Jesus Christ himself is teaching valuable life lessons, I'm not going to hear it because I'm so consumed with all of my problems with money. You know, I was just talking with actually um, um, a person here in our church just after the first service, and and I I never thought about how this would apply to some people, but here's this man thinking about his brother not sharing the inheritance, and and she's saying, she's divorced, and she's thinking, you know, her ex-husband, it's, she could be sitting here thinking about her ex-husband not paying his fair share, you know? Or I'm thinking about how my boss didn't pay me that and he owes me that. Or I'm thinking about that guy owes me this. See what I mean? Boy, this, this, it's not just sharing the inheritance. We all have this sense of entitlement in our hearts that says, you know, boy, somebody owes me something. And that can be something that consumes my thinking and it robs my ability to 
receive what Jesus has for me. The second thing you gotta notice is this, that the rich man in Jesus' story, he has big barns filled with food, but he dies tonight. And he's contrasted with ravens who have no barns, by the way, yet they eat plenty and they enjoy life. And so it begs the question, who would you rather be? Jesus places this rich man in contrast with ravens and wildflowers. And he, and he literally gives you and me the choice. Also, the third thing to notice, speaking of ravens and wildflowers, ravens were an unclean animal, according to the Jewish mindset. And wildflowers, some of your translations say lilies. Lilies were considered to be a common wildflower. So it's a weed. So you have an unclean bird and a weed teaching us valuable lessons about money. In essence, Jesus is saying, unclean birds and weeds know more about money than you do. Isn't that fascinating? So I think I got to go to a Warren Buffett seminar to learn about money. And Jesus goes, I just check out that bird in your backyard. There's a lot you can learn from that thing, right? It's amazing. Money is not that complicated, but we complicate it. The fourth observation is this. There are two ways that I can get anxious about money. I can be anxious about losing it, as was the rich man who had to build a bigger barn in order to keep it all. Or I can be anxious about not having enough of it, which was the situation that the disciples found themselves in. So the rich man had to learn that life is not found in the abundance of his possessions. That's verse 15. But the disciples had to learn that life is not found in the basics, like food and clothing. That's verse 23. You see how Jesus used the same phrase in both those verses? Life is not, life is not. Interesting, right? So I can struggle with money on both ends of that spectrum, whether I have a lot of it or none of it. So it's not necessary to have money in order to struggle with it. You see how money then is really not the issue. Money is just a reflection of me. It's, it's a, and I think that's why Jesus talks about it so much because it's a great mirror into my own soul and what I'm dealing with. And so the rich man in Jesus' story, he has three problems. The first problem, and, and none of them have to do with the size of his barn. The first problem that this rich man in the story has is his beliefs were wrong. You notice he thought to himself that possessions are what equaled life. The more I possess, the more life I can experience. So here's a true or false question. He who dies with the most toys wins. False, false. you're right. That was your 50-50 chance to get that one and you got it right. Yes, the one who dies with the most toys wins. False statement categorically. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. I can collect everything that the world has to offer, and it is still a blip in light of eternity. A rich person, therefore, is not more blessed than a poor person. You need to hear that. To Jesus, the richest person in the room is not the one with the most money. It's the one with the deepest connection with God. That's the richest person in the room, see? So the 
First thing is his beliefs were wrong. Second thing was his perspective was wrong. Look at verse 16. I love this verse. This verse just gets you. Verse 16, the ground produced a certain crop. See that? In other words, this rich man didn't do nothing. All he did was happen to find himself on a fertile piece of dirt. That's all he did. We come back to the original point. God is the one who gives the ability to make wealth. See? And so therefore, those with money, which is all of us in this room, by the way, every American, you understand, we're in the top 1% of our world. So, so those of us with money need to exercise humility. It's the blessing of God. It's, it's his kindness to me. That's all it is. It's, he's chosen in his wisdom that I would have this, right? And so I exercise humility, pointing the finger at others who have less and judging them for not working hard enough is not a godly response to those in poverty. Humility. Thank you, God, for the money that I have. Thank you for giving me the wealth that I have. How can I use it for your honor and glory? That's the question. Third thing that this man had wrong in the story was his counsel was foolish. Who does he consult for advice about what to do with all of his wealth? Does the man consult God? No. Does the man call up a wise friend? Does he call up Eric Weiss, a financial planner? Hey, Eric, what do I do with all this money? No. What's the man do? He consults himself. Look at verse 19. I'll say to myself, he says, what were you going to do? You're loaded. He, that's, and that's his advice. You are loaded. Take it easy, my friend. And this is why I think we make lousy consultants for ourselves, don't we? Jesus reminds us that there's another perspective. There's something else going on that is bigger than I can see and touch and taste and hear and feel. In verse 20, God calls this man a fool for building a bigger barn because what he can't see is within 24 hours, he's going to die. See, now that's a perspective, right? So this man is busy building a bigger barn. He doesn't realize he's about to buy the farm, so to speak, right? God knows how much time I have left on this planet and he knows what I need. So I need his perspective on managing the money in my pocket because he's the only one that has the right perspective. Mine's limited. And this is why money is such an important tool for understanding the condition of my heart. Money reveals what and who I love. Look at your own life. Who, what do you love based on your spending habits? I can tell you what you value by looking at your checkbook and your calendar. It's how you spend your money and how you spend your time. Those, anyone who says, I don't have the time for something or I don't have the money for something, those are value statements. Because I, I always seem to manage to have the time for the things I want to do, right? I seem to have the money to spend on the things I want to spend it on, 
So they're value statements. Okay, so money is a great mirror, right? And who does this rich man love in the story? Himself. And wow, was he wrong. He had a big barn full of grain and it did him no good at all. You know, can I be honest? I can see a lot of myself in this rich fool that Jesus is talking about. Can't you? I mean, frankly, I like big barns too. I know what you're thinking. Don't do that. Don't think that's long. I like big barns too. We've got, we've got big barn thinking. I know I do. And, and here's Jesus. He's bringing in a, a different perspective on my money that challenges my big barn thinking. Can we just put the two together side by side and contrast them? See, a big barn to me means greater status. That's kind of, that's really right. I mean, everybody looks at me and says, man, look at the size of that guy's barn. Whoa, he's something. We put guys with big barns on the cover of magazines, don't we? We turn them into heroes. These guys are, whoa. Mm -hmm. I like big barns for that reason. Big, a big barn means security. The man says, I've got, I've got a lot laid up for a long time. Mm, that's a sense of security right there. It also, big barns mean comfort. So now I can eat, drink, and be merry. See, that's what they mean to us. But Jesus makes it very clear that while money might promise those things, those promises are empty. That in the end, those fall short, those promises. Jesus, however, offers us a different perspective with greater promises. So a big barn might promise you uh, greater status. Jesus promises you something better than status. He promises you value. You see verse 24? Jesus says, don't you know how valuable you are to the Father? Do you see your infinite worth? How valuable you are? that you are the, the apple of God's eye, that the creator of the universe has been captured by you. You have his heart. See, that's a lot more valuable than status. I have value. It's a lot of people with status that wish they were important to somebody. And here's the deal, child of God, you are infinitely important to the God of the universe. So a big barn might promise me security. Jesus promises that you can live a life free of worry. Like the ravens and the lilies, you can go about your life in freedom, enjoying each moment, not a shred of worry about where the next meal comes from. What you need, you see, is to open your eyes and to look around you and to see the bounty that God has placed in your life. Big barns might offer comfort. Jesus offers a life that can be lived with enough for myself and plenty to share. That's verse 32, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Jesus said, don't be afraid, little flock. I like that he calls us little flock. Don't be afraid, little flock. He says, your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. I love that, man. So not only is the father giving us the kingdom like because he you know, has to. No, no, no. He's pleased to give you the kingdom. It delights him, right? But also he's giving you the kingdom 
the whole thing, not just a part of it. So the whole thing is yours. So that means I can live with a mindset of plenty rather than a mindset of scarcity. The rich man, for all of his wealth and his big barns, he lived in the darkness of scarcity, didn't he? He lived in the fear of having it all get lost, of not having enough. And then ravens and lilies, they're living with the mindset of plenty, eating enough, clothed in splendor, living free. Who's experiencing more freedom? The one who's scared of losing it or the ones who don't have it but enjoy the generosity of God in their lives? See, I have a simple exercise for you to try, and some of you are going to think it's dumb, but I promise you it actually does work. And that would be this. Remind yourself every day how rich you are. How rich you are. I, uh, there's a scarcity mindset, I think, that is coming over our nation and over a lot of people. Like where we're almost being conditioned to think that somehow we've been cheated out of something or somebody else is the bad guy. And You are rich. Remind yourself of how rich you are. As, as children of God, we typically picture our relationship with God as being like we're the beggars to whom God occasionally tosses a piece of bread. And that's not true. Remember, Jesus is the vine and we are the branch. So we're not just some distant beggar to whom God doles out bread. We're intimately connected to the vine and his life and his power flows in and through us. See, you're, you're, not, you're not lacking anything. He, you're, if you're in him, you're in him. And his life is it's like the sap that's flowing into your life. See? So remind yourself every day how rich you are. You think, oh, I'm, I'm not rich. I don't have a million. You don't have to have a million dollars to be rich. I hope that you get that from this message. Do you know Jesus? You're rich. That's what the Bible says. That's what the, that's what the Bible says. Yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Here's what it says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So Jesus bankrupted himself in order to trade places with us, that he would give us all of the riches of heaven. He's made you a part of his family, and as his family, his inheritance is now your inheritance. Everything he has is yours. He, he held nothing back, and his life can become your life. So do you see the freedom that Jesus walked in? That can be yours. Do you see the confidence as you read the gospels? You see the confidence that Jesus walked in? That can be yours. The courage that Jesus walked in? That can be yours. You see the way he loved others? That can be yours. Do you see the, the intimate connection that Jesus had with the Father? That can be yours. Like, that's all yours because he died to give that to you. Do you see how rich you are, you see? See, so 
Money promises the same things that Jesus promises, but money has empty promises. Money enslaves, it twists, it can ruin if it gets out of place in our lives. But let me give a word of caution as I talk about living a generous life, okay? And that's this. Being rich and generous does not mean spending money stupidly. Please hear that carefully, okay? You still need to budget, still need to be frugal, okay? Budgeting and frugality are not mutually exclusive to a life of generosity and freedom. Please hear that carefully, okay? In fact, a life of generosity and freedom, a life with money in its proper place, um, where you're living frugally, budgeting, and all of that actually sets you free to be generous. And anyway, I just felt like I needed to give that qualifier. Being generous doesn't mean it's not a license to spend money foolishly. So how does God want me to manage money? And I just want to... So there's the attitude shift. I hope that you got that. But let me just quickly give some real quick little points. Here's how do I manage this money that God's given to me? And my simple hillbilly way of saying it is 10, 10 plus 10 equals harvest. You know that I, many of you know I'm not a super complicated, and this is literally how my wife and I run our finances, our whole married life. I learned this principle early, early on in our married life, and literally this has guided this has guided our, our family finances from then. 10 plus 10 equals harvest. 10 is, the first 10 is tithing. Remember, tithe is 10%, 10. So the first 10 is tithe. In Malachi chapter three, verse 10, it says, God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I don't throw open the floodgates and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Now, obviously, the Old Testament people, they were living in an agrarian society. So when they brought 10%, they brought 10% of their grain, like literal grain, into a literal storehouse. And it was from there that they took care of the poor and supplied for the temple and so forth. You and I are not in an agrarian society. So 10% for us is financial. It's actually got dollars and cents attached to it. That's what I earn. That's what I tithe on, right? So I give 10%, the first 10% of my earnings to the Lord. Now, it's important to note that this is the only time in the whole Bible when God says, test me. Every other time in the Bible, testing God is a sin. Don't do it. Accept this when it comes to tithing. I think that's fascinating. And I can tell you this, just a quick testimony as a pastor, I've dealt with a lot of folks over the years. I've never seen somebody who tithed, who regretted it. Never, never. I've never seen a principle of scripture like so consistently come through as tithing. You know, I I believe, take for example, I believe with all my heart that God heals every time we pray for healing. I do. I don't, I, there's, there's, there's never a time when I pray for healing for you that I've got this little doubt in the back of my mind thinking, well, I hope it works. Like that's not how, that's not how I roll. I really do believe very much. But can I tell you, obviously, people don't get healed every time I pray for them, right? 
So how do I reconcile that? Well, I, I don't, I just live with the mystery. That's basically how I deal with it. But I can tell you that when it comes to tithing, I've never seen it fail. And I gotta say, there's something about it. I don't, I don't know. All I, the best I can do is say, why don't you try it? In a sense, God is daring you. He says, test me. You give me the first 10%. See what I can do with the rest of it. Just saying. First 10. Second 10 is to save it. Save it. The rich fool in Jesus' story was not a fool because he built a bigger barn. That's important to understand. He was a fool because he didn't involve God in his finances. He operated on his own. He didn't live under God's leadership. That's why he was a fool. The truth is the Bible actually teaches us to save. So this story about bigger barns is not a story against saving. Remember the story was Jesus told the story of bigger barns in response to this guy that was stewing in the audience saying, tell my brother to share the inheritance, remember? So that's how the story is related. So Jesus is not making a point against saving, okay? He's making a point against the wrong attitude towards money. The Bible says this about saving, Proverbs chapter 10, verses four and five. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in the summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Proverbs 13, 11, dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. That sounds like a nice savings account. How about that? Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So a savings account that lasts two generations, three generations, right? Me, children, children, children. Yeah, three, you're right. Proverbs 21.20, the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man just devours all that he has, never has anything left over because he eats it all, see? So after tithing, the next thing I do with my money is to save it. And, and I can't point to a Bible, a Bible verse on this, it's just my opinion, and I've heard other people recommend it. I recommend saving 10%. That's, what we, that's why the 10 plus 10 equals harvest, right? So I give 10 to the Lord, save 10. And now I have 80% that I live on. And that's the next part, spend it. So tithe it, save it, spend it. If I tithe and save 80%, here's the problem with debt. A lot of times we go into debt because we're, you know, trying to buy things that I can't afford on 100% of my income right? When I really need to be living on 80% of my income, see? And so we need to learn how to live on that 80, right? So how do I spend it? There's two things that we could do, provide for your family and provide for those in need. Look at Second, First Timothy 5.8. He says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Harsh, harsh words understood. And I think I, I feel like I need to give a qualifying statement there because I know that some of us come from very dysfunctional homes, uh, homes where money has really been a problem, homes where I, I know of parents that have stolen from their own children, okay? So, I, I mean, how do you do that with this verse, right? So I think that we need to give some 
You need to qualify that a little bit. The principle, let's look at the principle. The principle is, you know, God's blessed me with children and they need food, they need clothing, they need an education, right? I'm responsible for that. I have home expenses that I'm responsible for. Those need to be paid. So let's, let's look at that. That's what he's saying. So the first level of spending is providing for my family, my home. And then the second level of spending is providing for those in need. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, be warm and well-fed, I'll pray for you, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? See, I love James's practicality. James is like, you got 10 bucks in your pocket and they need to, you know, give them the 10 bucks, right? It's the idea. It's part of what I love about scrapping. All my scrapping money is usually for this kind of thing. I love having cash, you know, that I got from junk. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm like, hey, if you need 10 bucks, I'm happy to share. It's, it's fun to give it. It really is. Randy Alcorn is a Christian author who talks a lot about money. He says these three things this way, save it, spend it, send it ahead. I say 10 plus 10 equals harvest, you know, save it, spend it, um, tithe it, <laughs> right? He goes, save it, spend it, send it ahead, right? Here's the point is this, God doesn't um, force his way into our wallets, He's waiting for us to invite him into our finances. Maybe many of us don't want to invite him into our finances because we know what that means. And I'm too content to just keep living like this rich man in this story, building my bigger barn and doing, my, doing whatever I want with it. But here's the deal, God wants to be Lord of my wallet. And, and I want to encourage you this morning that if God's the Lord of your wallet, that that's where you can experience joy and freedom and where you can experience generosity. You serve a generous God who has been generous with you. And there's so much joy in a generous lifestyle. There really is. There really is. And you can teach your children these principles too. That's what I love about it. It's so simple, 10 plus 10 equals harvest. You know, when our kids were little, you get two, three little envelopes or three coffee cans. We did that, you know, for a while. And one coffee can is your tithe and one coffee can is your savings and one coffee can is your spending. And every, every bit of money that they would earn from whatever they were doing, you know, was, we, we would teach them, okay, you know, the tithe, we give our 10% to the Lord. This is his. You know, you walk them through. It's beautiful. I, I love the simplicity of it um, for that very reason. The point is, God has freedom for you in regards to your money. You don't need to be bound to it. You don't need to be enslaved to it. That money can actually be a tool in your pocket rather than you being a tool in its pocket. I just want to close with this story, and Jonathan, you guys can come and play if you want. You know, you know this week, uh, as Robin shared earlier, um, Jack Boynton went to be with Jesus on Thursday morning at uh, 2.34 in the morning, right, Cindy? And um, Karis and I and Pastor Robin, we had the privilege, we were sitting with Cindy for several hours Thursday morning, 
and just getting to visit and talk and, you know, cry and laugh, tell great stories about Jack and how he finished well and his faithfulness to the Lord and so cool. And at one point in our conversation, we were um, just thinking about how it just hit us like, you know, right now, Jack is not thinking about us. <laughs> like here we're spending, we're thinking about him, you know, we're missing him and all that. But him, he, he is lost in the presence of Jesus. Like he is like, <clears throat> you know, his, his faith, T Tammy texted uh, Cindy, his faith has become sight, right? I love that. Faith has become sight, all of his promises fulfilled, like, wow, you know? I'm pretty sure Jack doesn't have the time to be thinking about the mortgage payment, <laughs> right? He's, he's not thinking about, you know, the economy and whatever, just not. And, and it hit me that Jesus actually wants us to experience that freedom right now. I don't have to wait to heaven to experience that freedom. It doesn't mean that I shirk my responsibilities. Yes, I have response. I have bills. I have things that need to be paid. That, that is life. And all of that has to happen, right? But I can, I can know that freedom of being lost in Jesus and, and the assurance and the confidence that, that I'm valuable to my father, that he, he clothes the grass of the field and the birds of the sky, and I'm a lot more valuable to him than they are. And, 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 that, and that he knows what I need before I ask him, and, and, and that I can be in an intimate relationship with, with him. I can know his heart, and he can know my heart. And I can, I can be caught up in that, right? And that gives me perspective on all of this. I don't need to worry about this because my father knows what I need. And he holds me in his hand. And his hands are good hands. Right? Man, see, that's you, you see how you see how that's an how that's an attitude adjustment. See the tweak in our attitudes when it comes to finances. Jesus wants us to experience that freedom, man. That same freedom that we're going to have in His presence in heaven, we can begin to taste that right now. And I I don't want money to steal that from you. God forbid that I would ever find myself like this man in verse 12 again, right? Where I miss what Jesus is doing because I'm just consumed with my money problem. No, Jesus set us free to see you and you alone and what you're doing, to live with the freedom and the joy of a, of a simple bird <laughs> that my father knows what I need. He clothes me, he feeds me, he cares for me. 
He knows what I need before I ask him. And you are so forever eternally good. And you have been generous to me, God. You, Jesus, you gave me all of your riches. You took my poverty. You took my sin, Jesus. And you gave me all of your righteousness and all of your goodness and all of your riches. Thank you, Jesus. So Lord, 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 we, we invite you today to become Lord of our, check, uh, Lord of our checkbooks. I admit, Jesus, that when I ran it my way, uh, I caused problems. But Lord, I want to run it your way. And I want your blessing on it, Lord. And I ask this in your holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening. That wraps up today's word. We are grateful you joined in. And if you would like to hear more or learn more about us, feel free to check things out over at newriverchurch.org.